means that opinions expressed by the host or those of guests on the show are just that, opinions. Subjects relating to motorcycle clubs on the show should not be taken as gospel or set in stone. If you want to know more about motorcycle clubs, we here at Insane Throttle Motorcycle Madhouse recommend seeking out a motorcycle club member and asking them personally about something you would like to know. Again, this is Biker Entertainment. Insane Throttle Motorcycle Madhouse is an independent media organization and has no horse in the race. We base our news on actual events happening in the biker scene. Again, opinions are just that. Opinions. Today we are going to cover a whole bunch of different subjects. But first, everyone might notice our new introduction. I want to take a couple minutes to explain that introduction. On average, each day, we here at Insane Throttle Motorcycle Madhouse receive about 200 emails. Many of them pertaining to things that have been said on the show or printed on Insane Throttle Biker News. One of the most asked questions, subjects, is motorcycle clubs. And my thoughts on them. Personally, I shake my head because I have to answer some of the things sent into us. This is the reason why we decided to put the disclaimer on the show. <laughs> Insane Throttle Motorcycle Madhouse is a media entertainment company. The keyword is entertainment. Sure, we have opinions just like anyone else, but those opinions are not meant to be taken as gospel. Opinions are for debate, not to give advice. Just like Sons of Anarchy was an entertainment show, so is many of the videos and creations you see on YouTube by various people. Personally, if I wasn't a club advocate and believed in motorcycle club rights, Motorcycle Madhouse wouldn't be covering what is happening in the motorcycle club scene. Why? Because, in my opinion, many people are not ready to be a member of a motorcycle club. This is evident in the fact Many write in asking a radio show questions which should be directed at a motorcycle club. This stance, withstanding, we cover motorcycle club subjects to make sure the public is aware of situations that could very well one day affect them, even though they are not members of a club. So again, to all the fans and followers of Motorcycle Madhouse, this is a biker entertainment show, a show which highlights what is happening in the biker scene. 
We like to get debates started among those who love the lifestyle as much as we do. So everyone, ease up on the emails asking questions about motorcycle clubs and just go out to a member and ask them. With that said, today I'm going to be talking about why I'm a big supporter of firefighters and firefighters motorcycle clubs and why they differ from Leo clubs. Well, at least to me anyway. After that, I'm going to go and start talking about Lewis versus City of New Orleans, a decision handed down in 1974 by the United States Supreme Court, which was supposed to answer the question, does our free speech rights end when being confronted by law enforcement? <laughs> it's a big one. Everybody needs to know about this one. But wait. There's more to today's show. China Dow will be joining me in studio, and we will be talking about some somber stories. Stories that need to be put out in the public and kept there so they can hopefully be prevented in the future. Finally, we have a 15-minute segment from Tombstone talking about stereotypes. The segment is going to be shown in its entirety since I will be in Orlando, Florida for the National Convention of Motorcyclists this coming Saturday. Motorcycle Madhouse Live will not air Saturday and will instead return on Monday. I'm going to have a bunch of goodies for you on Monday. So, don't forget, we have a new episode of Motorcycle Madhouse Radio every Sunday at 9 o'clock in the morning. It's Central Standard Time. It's also available on iTunes, Spotify, and all major pl podcasting platforms. So, first, before we kick off the show, take a listen to Hot Rod from Abate of Michigan. Hello, everybody, how much I appreciate the long day that we've had today and everything that took place all across the state. As your state awareness director and all the videos that I've received, all the people that have talked to me, all the stuff that has happened, I can't thank you enough for making Motorcycle Awareness Month a good start all across this great state of Michigan from everybody that's been part of this, helped out do things with this, Somewhere, somehow, somebody today saved a life. No matter what they say, all the statistics, everything going on, we're very fortunate to have all our bait members work so hard to try to make this a successful day. I can't tell you how good it feels to make hard work pay off. You guys all made it work. There were so many people that sold so many signs that help our organization. People stopping by, coming across the park a lot, wanting to grab signs. People just talking about doing things and how, how much they feel it's important for them to do something to help save a life. Thank you, all of you. I can't tell you how much it means to me. I'm very excited. I'm sorry it's so late I finally got this done. But after I got done reading all the promos and everybody telling me stuff, I feel that it's important for me to say how much it means for me and all riders across the state, what you did today. 
thank you. I love you and I appreciate you. And your hard work did pay off. We will save somebody's life and the life is priceless. No matter what it took out of your day, all your, all your hard work paid off. God bless you all. Thank you all. God bless the mate. Have a nice day. Thank you. Hot Rod is cool as hell, isn't he? Don't forget to spread the word. May is Motorcycle Awareness Month, and it's important to spread the word for drivers to look out for motorcyclists. We know how all those cagers are, and they don't pay attention. Way to go, Abate, for leading the way on this important issue and making Motorcycle Awareness Month in May. You guys are awesome. So let's jump into the main topic of today, which is how I personally look upon firefighters and firefighter MCs and why I look at them differently than Leo clubs. This subject actually came up in the last live show we did on the situation happening with the Mongols MC patch. In that video, a law enforcement officer wrote in actually claiming that Leos are more <laughs> respectful to motorcycle clubs than any other group. This individual then went on to claim that firefighters do not get flack and they are actually harder on MCs than Leo. <laughs> I go horse crap. Just like I said in that video, I don't know where this guy got his briefing from, but firefighters and firefighters MCs, I know, don't go around claiming all members of one percenter clubs are criminals. They also do not go around claiming that the Confederation of Clubs are nothing more than a controlled syndicate of the, uh, you know, the one percenter uh, clubs nationwide. I don't think that happens. On the other hand, you have representatives of law enforcement that spews that kind of stuff right there. One percenter clubs, they're all criminals. Why? Because they need to justify their existence. In the last video about the Mongols, we discussed how Steve Welk is the lead DA on the Mongols case. The same DA who has secured over $365 million in assets forfeitures last year alone. It's all about the money, folks, and the propaganda is just a part of the Leo's arsenal. I always hearken back to Ryan Erlacher. One who, you know, if all you have to do is visit his site and you'll see all the propaganda firsthand. It's nothing but a jerk fest for law enforcement motorcycle clubs. They even go as far as saying that they exist for intelligence purposes. They put that on their site. The Alliance of Law-Abiding Clubs goes to the extreme in the trying to portray the Confederation of Clubs as anti-American. Why? It's in their best interest to do it. It helps bring in weak-minded individuals who wouldn't know what being a biker is if it hit them 
smack dab in the face. First off, motorcycle clubs are not about the freaking Constitution. The traditions associated with motorcycle clubs have gone back to the earliest days of the scene. With every type of culture, there comes traditions. Traditions which keep a particular culture thriving. Leos know this. That is why they attack the traditions of the motorcycle clubs. They will spread this BS that people don't need to quote, ask anyone's position or permission because this is America, end quote. You even have people who are not cops preaching this BS while they sit all alone afraid to go into the real world because let's face it, if they did get out around the motorcycle clubs, they would get a beat down. Crap. Some are even encouraging people to call the cops. Think about that for a moment. Just call the cops. And these are the people who claim to want people to start motorcycle clubs, but then they go off on BS rants on how the U.S. government is this and that. Cowards and hypocrites feeding off people who have no brains whatsoever. After all, it's not them that's going to be called out when confronted because they are too busy hiding behind a keyboard. Crap, one creator actually said he wouldn't meet up with anyone he didn't know unless he knew them a long time. What is that? If you're proud of your material, why not meet up with your supposed fans? I'll tell you why. They're freaking cowards with a big mouth who can't back it up in public. This is actually going on. This is actually going on. And this is going somewhere, trust me. I'll be pulling this full circle, circle back to why I support motorcycle clubs that are firefighters and all that stuff. So I'll be pulling it around. Black Dragon, as everyone knows, has a YouTube channel which main subject content is protocol for 99 percenters. Black Dragon was the national president of the Black Sabbath Motorcycle Club. A club that has been around since the 1970s and membership is national. Being a national president of such a club, dude has knowledge and skill. Not only do you have to have charisma to get a position like that, but you also have to have leadership skills. He's someone who sure the hell don't need to share any of that knowledge with anyone. But he does because he likes helping people. People who subscribe to his channel, they do so so they can learn about a culture they may or may not know anything about. Black Dragon's subject matter is going to get hit on by people who have absolutely 
no idea about what they are talking about. Many of those same people who hit on him were never able to pass the process of becoming a member of a motorcycle club. My question is this. Who would you rather listen to about the club life? A former national president of an old major MC or people who couldn't make it through a membership process? This very question is the strategy of these law enforcement clubs and their supporters. First off, money is front and center to them. Second, they need to use the propaganda to turn people to their cause. Here's a suggestion for people who actually think for themselves. Go to a Confederation of Clubs meeting and see, see if it's like law enforcement and their supporters claim it to be. See for yourself firsthand if what these people and these organizations are preaching are true. Then, Ask them if they've ever attended a COC meeting, and if they haven't, why not? If they are preaching the COC is so bad, what are they basing those opinions on? If they haven't attended a COC meeting personally, then how can they preach the BS they are? Now you can see the reason why I can't stand the LEMCs. Hypocrites and propagandists all the way around. This is a huge difference between firefighters and cop clubs. Firefighters are made up of hard-working, blue-collar workers. And actually, more than 70% of firefighters are volunteers and work other full-time jobs especially outside urban areas. If my numbers are off, guys and gals, my apologies, okay? Uh, my apologies. Firefighters are true to what they really are. People who serve their communities and don't have alternative motives like LEMC. Firefighters don't put out statements like the Alliance of Law-Abiding Clubs whose one mission, like I said before, publicly states they gather for intelligence purposes. After a statement, cop club, uh, statements like that, cop clubs wonder why they are looked at the way they are. Bottom line, I support firefighters and firefighter clubs 100%. The main reason being is because they are who they truly are. They're true to themselves. They don't Try and be something they are not. The motives of firefighter clubs are pure. Not even close to what LEMCs are about. Here's a quick video, and I couldn't agree more with what's said in it. We got a Chicago Fire Department member, which I honor, I, I think... Chicago firefighters, uh, firefighters all over this world and this country are heroes and need to be remembered 
And look at this hot bike. And here is the owner, a firefighter. Oh, amen. Illinois. Ag no, Axelman, right? Axman. Or Axman. Yeah, Illinois. Fire Department. Right on, brother. All right, brother. Hey, thank you for your service to this country, man. No problem. You're... Oh, here, right. Yeah, Be careful on. out there, man. Okay. Yeah, man. Yeah. God bless you. It's crazy and we're, we're... Ladies and gentlemen, may I have your attention, please? Need your daily dose of biker news? Then what are you waiting for? Visit HarleyLiberty.com and keep up to date with all the happenings in the biker scene. And wait, there's more. Insane Throttle Biker News is now on Instagram. Come on over and give us a follow and get special video content not seen elsewhere on the net. Just type in Insane Throttle Biker News in the search bar. In your face, all over the place. We're online 24-7, 24-7. this is James Hollywood Machikari, host of Motorcycle Madhouse on over 20 different platforms worldwide. Insane Throttle Biker News and Motorcycle Madhouse is now opening up its platforms to advertising opportunities for businesses who would like to get in front of a worldwide audience. We now have exclusive sponsorships and supporting sponsorships available. RT at Insane Throttle Publications will work to make sure your brand gets the notice it deserves. Most companies claim the work for companies to get the brand name out where Insane Throttle actually shows the result. Stop throwing your advertising dollars away on old media platforms and get in the new age of media and reach hundreds of thousands worldwide. Our exclusive sponsorship will receive regular spots on the upcoming New American Rebel TV premiering on Roco January 1st, 2020. Give us a call at 312-899-6720 and learn how Insane Throttle can help you get your business to the next level. We have an ad package that fits everyone's budget. Brand new. Creating a holy radio experience for you. Where's the compare house? Yep, good to go. I agree 100% with that video. Agree with one 100%. Later on, China Dow will be joining me in the studio, so keep tuned in. Don't forget, I'll be in Orlando, Florida this weekend at the National Coalition of Motorcyclists Convention. If you would like to meet up, I'll be in the main lobby of the hotel at 9 a.m. for a meet and greet. So it's going to be fun, educational this weekend, so get there if you can. So moving on, before I get into the subject addressing if you lose your free speech when it comes to Leo, here is a case summary of Louis V. City of New Orleans, you know, versus New Orleans. It's an important for the contents going forward into this conversation. So, Lewis versus City of New Orleans. In Lewis versus City of New Orleans, 415 U.S. 130, 1974, the appellate was convicted under a municipal ordinance prohibiting persons from wantonly cursing, 
reviling or using obscene or abhorrent language, quote, towards or with reference to any member of the city police while in actual performance of his duty, end quote. Lewis 415, U.S. at 132. In vacationing, vacating the conviction and invalidating the ordinance as facially abroad, the Supreme Court indicated that it had arrived at its decision because the ordinance, quote, punished only spoken words, unquote, and was not limited in scope to fighting words that, it, again, quote, by their very utterance in, inflict injury or tend to incite to an immediate breach of the peace, end quote. Furthermore, in his concurring opinion, Justice Powell suggested that even the, quote, fighting words, end quote, exception recognized in Chaplasky versus State of New Hampshire might impose a more limited application in cases involving speech to a police officer. As he stated, a properly trained officer may reasonably be expected to exercise a higher degree of restraint than the average citizen and thus be less likely to respond belligerently to fighting words. That, again, Lewis 415, U.S. at 135, concurring opinion. That's the basis of this whole thing. Now, let's take a look at an incident that happened in New York and see if the above opinion is really true. A pair of police officers with the New York Police Department ticketed a Mr. Cheyenne Patel for his car's tinted windows in Times Square. After parking his car, Patel raised his middle finger at them in response. You know, the NYPD officers then approached Patel and asked for his identification. When Patel asked what crime he was suspected of committing, he alleges that one of the officers told him, quote, you cannot gesture as such, end quote. So the cop's saying you can't give him the finger. When Patel insisted that freedom of speech did grant him the right, Patel alleges that officer said that he could not curse at a police officer, grabbed his phone, and again demanded identification. Patel was arrested and charged with disorderly conduct and resisting arrest. While the charges were later dropped, Patel is suing the officers for violation of his First Amendment right to free speech and free expression. No law prohibits swearing at or flipping off a police officer, and it seems clear that law enforcement were in the wrong. Oh, God forbid that, huh, guys? But Patel's case is only the latest incident of police officers abusing the law and their positions of power to punish people critical or disrespectful of law enforcement. <laughs> Actually, a black man a couple of years ago, returned to his home in Cambridge, Massachusetts from travels abroad to find his door tightly shut. He, along with his taxi driver, 
forced the door open. Soon after, police arrived to his residence to respond to a reported burglary. It's unclear what words exactly were exchanged, but the man was arrested for, quote, loud and tumultuous behavior, end quote. A report by the officer in question indicated that the men merely used harsh language and called the officer a racist. If the circumstances were different, this incident may not have made the headlines. It did. Countless people of color and members of biker clubs are are accused of criminal activity for walking upon their own properties and riding their own motorcycles, even entering into their own homes. But the man was Henry Louis Gates Jr., a professor at Harvard University and friend of a newly elected president, Obama. The details of arrests quickly made the airwaves across the country. Coverage of the incident focused on concerns of racial profiling, but it was about free speech too. Gates was arrested not for breaking and entering, but for disorderly conduct after he used harsh language at the officer. Just like Patel in New York. Now, civil liberties attorney uh, Harvard Silvergate has called disorderly conduct law enforcement's, quote, charge of choice, end quote, for when a citizen gives lip to a cop. These types of cases are still a regular occurrence, despite the landmark 1974 court case, Lewis v. New Orleans, where the Supreme Court struck down a city ordinance that outlawed, quote, obscene or aborous language toward or with reference to, end quote, a police officer. At the time, the court noted that a properly trained police officer may reasonably be expected to exercise a higher degree of restraint than private citizens. <laughs> yeah, we all know that ain't the case, do we, guys? Despite the Supreme Court's clear ruling on this issue, police in Pennsylvania are using the state's version of a hate crime law to prosecute people who say offensive things to them when they are arrested. These laws are intended to protect the vulnerable, but instead are being wielded as a tool by a powerful government entity like police departments. That's messed up, man. Using hate crimes for their own personal crap because they can't take a, you know, bird. You know, Robbie Sanderson, a 52-year-old black man, was arrested for retail theft near Pittsburgh in September of 2016. During his arrest, he called the police Nazis and skinheads and said that all you cops just shoot people for no reason. He was charged with felony ethnic intimidation. I have never heard of that. Later that year, Sonetta Armoroso became agitated at a police station and was arrested for disorderly conduct and knocked to the ground, just planted, 
And according to the ACLU, she yelled while cuffed in a jail cell, quote, death to all you white bitches. I'm going to kill all you white bitches. I hope ISIS kills all you white bitches, end quote. I think she was mad. Her six charges included a felony assault charge for hitting an officer in the arm and a felony ethnic intimidation. Have you guys heard of this ethnic intimidation stuff that cops are now charging people for? Sanderson and Armoroso's cases are just two of many Pennsylvania law enforcement agents slapping disrespectful arrestees with hate crime charges because these people yelled speech that the officers found offensive, but they were handcuffed and posed no threat and no physical threat to anyone. Pennsylvania's ethnic intimidation charge works similarly to hate crime laws in other states, which generally enhance penalties for perpetrators when victims were targeted for discriminatory reasons. Hate speech laws technically do not exist in the United States, although hate crime statutes were enacted to protect minorities. They can and are being enforced to protect powerful groups like the police. That's messed up. Nadine Strassen, a uh, professor at New York Law School, who was previously president of the ACLU, is not surprised that the police are abusing hate crime laws to punish disrespectful people. She thinks these cases in New York, Massachusetts, and Pennsylvania all show the same pattern of such laws being wielded against the people they were intended to protect minorities and people who lack political power. She went on to note that during the civil rights movement, police would charge people protesting injustice with whatever they could, with resisting arrest, disorderly conduct, or fighting words, all of which Strausen calls catch-all crimes. Strausen thinks that the way police abuse hate crime laws reveals the inherent problematic nature of legislation that attempts to single out specific identities. And I could not agree more on that. We all bleed red. That's the way I look at it. She goes on to say there's the hydraulic pressure once you have any hate crime or hate speech law. Additional pressures to expand this definition emerge. And boy, do they. Until the question becomes, who's not included? She also put out a book, and I really like her stuff. Hate, why we should resist it with free speech, not censorship. She argues that hate speech laws in many European countries have ended up stifling the speech of vulnerable populations they intend to protect. Just look at Oz and, you know, the anti-consortium laws. 
She cautions that these recent examples show how hate crimes laws can potentially be used for similar purpose in the United States. Look what's going on with the Mongols patch case. And she goes on to say that pushing hate law speech uh, laws can backfire. While the first hate crime laws in the United States were targeted to race and religion, they have expanded to include other categories like gender, sexual orientation, or what we're seeing down with uh, the one law in Texas, which gives the cops rights to profile bikers. And it gives, it's given the power to cops who are, you know, co-open these laws to shield themselves from scrutiny and criticism. It's a pattern not unique to the United States. She went on to reference a recent proposal in South Africa that considered adding occupation to a list of protected classes. Could this include police and politicians and government officials? That's a big question right there, because we already know how they abuse stuff, the power that are given. And some U.S. policymakers are already aiming to officially establish police as a protected class of people. Are you kidding me? <laughs> if passed, it would be called the Protect and Serve Act, which would make assaulting a police officer a federal crime. The Senate's version of the bill even frames attacks on police as federal hate crimes. Can you see the power that they would now have against anybody? The legislative efforts at the federal level follow on the heels of so-called Blue Lives Matter bills already passed in states including Kentucky and Louisiana. And while the federal bill applies to physical attacks on the police, the state-level laws have been enforced upon mere language hostile to police. You think their uh, power trips are bad now? Just wait if this starts coming uh, nationwide. During an arrest of an unrelated charges in 2016, a man in New Orleans yelled, insults at officers and was slapped with the additional charges. In a post about this incident, the ICLU of Louisiana wrote that while racist, sexist, and other similar language may show a lack of respect for law enforcement, it is the job of the police to protect even the rights of those whose opinions they do not share. They're arguing against these bills right now, and they are not only unnecessary, attacking police officers is already a crime physically, but also actively going and trying to get this speech one is going to kill your First Amendment. You know, the point is clear, especially with regards to the uh, uh, adoption of hate crime statute frameworks to reinforce the myth of the police as a vulnerable and embattled type of freaking sector of people. The Protect and Serve Act would just be abused. They already abuse a lot of the powers they got now. Man. <laughs> you know, the incidences in Pennsylvania, Newark, Louisiana are part of a long and disturbing history of police abusing the law to punish speech they find unfavorable, guys. 
It's deeply concerning for free expression that police feel empowered to add additional charges to arrestees because of the words they yell while being handcuffed. And that legislation makes police a protected class, only amplifies the police's ability to silence, dissent, and intimidate critics. So, you got an ideal of that incident. An incident in which if Leo thinks you're not bowing down to them, they will throw you in jail. Here's a better example. One who involved Ryan Erlacher. Yes, the same Ryan Erlacher who asserts himself as the leader of the biker revolution. The incident started while Ford was driving to his job on the graveyard shift at the local bottling company, a Yakima police cruiser driven by Officer Ryan Erlacher started following him near the intersection of South 1st Street and Knob Hill Boulevard because Ford was playing his music so loud. Oh my God. Ford says police often followed and stopped him because he was a black man driving a nice Cadillac at night. Sitting at a red light, Ford got out of his car, shrugged his shoulders, and asked Erlacher why he was following him. Maybe Erlacher just, you know, pumped one off and he had gets back to work. The officer told him to get back in his car, called for backup, and then pulled him over. That made no sense, Erlacher. Ford was frustrated at what he felt was racially based harassment, and he angrily told the police as much during the stop. He didn't threaten them, and the video from the dashboard camera in Erlacher's cruiser shows he complied with uh, the cops' orders. Erlacher told another officer, quote, with that attitude, he's going to get cuffed, end quote. And he repeatedly threatened Ford with jail if he didn't stop running his mouth. According to audio from the dash cam recording, Erlacher, who had joined the department the previous year, took Ford to jail after a senior police commander freaking told him, uh, what was his name, uh, Lieutenant Nolan Wentz, told him that Ford has a hot head. When Ford cited his right to free speech while handcuffed in the back of the uh, cruiser with Erlacher, Erlacher responded, I have the freedom to take you to jail too, and that's what's going to happen. Yeah, that was what Erlacher had to say to that. See, cops, they don't like when you, you know, you fight back with them with your words. It, you know, with the physicality and stuff, you know, what's going to happen. They're going to come out, pound on you for 48 hours, put you in bruises, and say you did this, this, and that. But here's a guy who claims to be leading the biker revolution and himself was in an incident like this. He actually said he had the right to take this guy to jail because he didn't like the guy mouthing off to him because he's a police officer. This is the problem with Leos. And this is the problem why most people who have any common sense 
cannot stand what the hell they do half the time. It's because they use that tin badge and that gun to wield power. Because I guess they're insecure in themselves. Think about it. Anytime one of these people walk up to you on a traffic stop, they always got that condescending attitude like their shit don't stink. And quite frankly, people are getting tired of it. They're getting tired of it because they've seen year after year it getting worse with not only, you know, the police uh, use of force stuff, but the profiling. Now, I really love that story in that book. I'm actually going to grab and I'll give a review of that book. Uh, Sounds real interesting. So when I talked about the Mongols case and you don't have to support them, you don't even have to support motorcycle clubs. Know what's going on with the motorcycle clubs like in the Mongol case could happen to you. We just discussed it the last few minutes that this can actually happen to you. Could you imagine uh, them getting uh, these kind of laws passed? What could happen? You get stopped, uh, you know, uh, doing 55 and you're five over. And next thing you know, you're sitting in jail because you're called the cop a cocksucker because he couldn't handle it. Think about that, man. And think about your free speech. That's why you got to get involved in this fight that we got going. This is the year of the fight. This is the year we start all fighting back, man. You know, Popeye was right over at Texas Biker Radio. It is time to fight. And it's, you know, if you're a biker content creator, especially dealing with motorcycle clubs or government rights, time to get in the fight, man. Let's get everybody educated. Let them know what's going on. All that good stuff. So after the commercial break, uh, we're going to have China Dial in here, and uh, we're going to discuss some uh, pretty sad subjects but subjects that I believe need to be said. In your face, all over the place. We're online 24-7-24-7. You're listening to the hottest internet station. Hi, I'm James Hollywood Machikari, and my new book, The New Age of Biking and Brotherhood. In it, I address many issues facing the modern biker and motorcycle club member. The subjects covered are non-politically correct, and many issues are exposed that will rock the biker scene. I will expose some of those people who claim to be biker experts and others I expose for what they are doing to the scene for personal gain. This book is sure to light the internet ablaze. The exact reason why I chose to write this book in the first place. Hopefully in some small way this book will help people make some changes to the club scene before it's too late. Hot shit. Hot shit. Here it comes. Are we ready? And welcome back from the commercial break. We have China Doll in the studio. And uh, everybody loves her segment. And this segment's going to be dealing with uh, some real heartbreaking stuff that's happened here in uh, Chicago. More uh, specifically, Crystal Lake ended up uh, as a nightmare in Woodstock, Illinois. And that is the case of AJ. Now, AJ's a little boy that uh, the parents killed. They're disgusting. It's disgusting stuff. Uh, We're going to give you a short, uh, brief video, and when we get back, uh, China Down and I will uh, discuss it. But uh, this is uh, the case in uh, about six minutes. 
emergency. At 94 Dole Avenue in Crystal Lake, Illinois. Okay, and one more time for confirmation. 
after information was obtained through forensic analysis of cell phone data. Once presented with the evidence obtained by investigators, both Joanne and Andrew Sr. provided information that ultimately led to the recovery, what we believe is the recovery, of deceased subject AJ. Investigators located what they believe to be AJ's body buried in a shallow grave wrapped in plastic in a rote area of Woodstock, Illinois. The McHenry County Coroner's Office is on scene with the FBI Evidence Recovery Unit right now as we speak. The cause of death is unknown at this time and it will be, be determined at a later date by the McHenry County Coroner's Office. Based on the current information and evidence, both Joanne Cunningham and Andrew Friend are being charged with the death and disappearance of AJ. Both are in police custody at this time. Joanne Cunningham has been charged with five counts of first degree murder, four counts of aggravated battery, two counts of aggravated domestic battery, and one count of failure to report a missing or child death. Andrew Friend Sr. has been charged with five counts of first degree murder, two counts of aggravated battery, one count of aggravated domestic battery, two counts of concealment of homicidal death, and one count of failure to report missing or child death. Uh, I knew something bad had happened. It's beyond the comprehension when you hear it to think that anybody could do that. And then, and then to walk around, go to the vigil, walk around the town. I mean, my gosh, that's, that's like monsters. It's horrible. I mean, I, and then try to get custody back of their other child. I don't, and that's unborn baby. You know, and I tried to to reach out to help the parents. I, I wanted, you know, I, I wrote her a note. I brought her flowers when she had put a note on my door saying, I'm doing the best I can. I've got two active toddlers, you know, blah, 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 whatever she said. And I I bought her groceries, and I was supposed to put, over, put a note on her door. I, put fly, I gave her flowers, and I said, call, come over. The, you know, anybody will help you if you're going through that hard of a time. And I never heard anything back, but, I mean, my gosh, it's unreal and to bury your own child how do you do that that's i mean i'm sure everybody's reaction is the same they're just sick it's i, th I felt like it would be more closure but it's maybe it will it's just too fresh you know it's you know, when i see all this it's just with five-year-old A.J. reported missing on April 18th. His father, Andrew, was not showing much emotion, according to the first Crystal Lake police officer who interviewed him. The first telltale sign that day of how this would play out. The police report describing new details of the investigation obtained tonight by the I-team after a Freedom of Information filing with Crystal Lake Police. When Crystal Lake Police came to the friend home two weeks ago today, it was the latest of 17 police calls to the home during little AJ's five years. On the visit described in this police report, AJ wasn't there, reported missing by his father Andrew. The dad searched his phone for police but wasn't able to find a picture of his young missing son so officers could begin a search. Officers noting the house was in disarray. But that fact was nothing new for authorities. Based on these 2013 photos, garbage-strewn conditions reflected in last month's missing persons report, very little floor space to walk, cockroaches scattering away. An officer noting, before I entered AJ's room, I observed a sliding chain lock on the outside of the room, mouse droppings along the boy's bedsheets, and two screws into a window, according to the father, to keep AJ from leaving.
Andrew Friend and A.J.'s mother, Joanne Cunningham, were covering up the truth during that meeting with police, according to prosecutors, and hid the truth during the five-day search that followed. The five-year-old's body was found eight miles away in a shallow grave near Woodstock. Both parents now facing multiple charges, including first-degree murder, after authorities found video of the badly beaten boy in his mother's cell phone, according to court records. They are each being held in McHenry County on $5 million bond. The wake for A.J. Friend is tomorrow afternoon. His parents will not be attending. Among the inconceivable items we found in the police report occurred when officers needing a description of A.J. for the missing child report asked the parents about their son's eye color. His father said they were blue. They were brown. DCFS has not responded to our messages today, but we will keep pressing accountability, looking for the answers to these many questions. So heartbreaking. That's some heartbreaking stuff right there. Uh, what do you think? I think something should have been done from the get-go. Back in 2012, DCF was already involved with this with this family. Why was nothing done then? Right. <laughs> and the, the 911 call. The father kind of sounded like when he spoke at one point that he kind of giggled. He actually sounded like he was giggling. Right. He had no emotion whatsoever. And anybody who hear, heard the uh, 911 call, right there you could tell automatically that this guy was involved. In one way or another. Right. He, he showed no emotion, none of that type of stuff. And what was the cause of death? You actually read the rest of that. Um, I read, I read the article that the cause of death was multiple blunt trauma to his head. So basically they beat him. They beat him to death. Some coward ass. See, me, I have a hard time when it involves kids. Uh, like, you know, I can't even watch programs that uh, this kind of stuff happens to kids. But this happened uh, a little east of us in Woodstock. So this one hit home in the Midwest. And we have a lot of groups out there like BACA or Rebels on a Mission that uh, help these kids. And... It's something that a lot of us need to support is their mission. And uh, if you're not going to get involved with the organizations, at least donate to them. But that's like a ball kicker, man. Uh, you know, if they didn't want the kid, they couldn't handle the kid, why not just give the kid for adoption? Why go out there and murder the kid? And many questions arise, too. Was it what, From what it sounds like, there were more than one child in the house. And now she's pregnant and they want custody. How the hell are you going to give murderers custody? They're self-admitted murderers. I believe she should never get custody of that child. That child should be born and taken right away. You know, one thing that I really don't like about, uh, you know, it's called DCFS here in Illinois. I don't know what it's called, Child Protective Services, other places. Uh, it's always get the kid back to the parents. How do you get the kid back to the parents after they abuse the kids? There's no reckoning for that. That's one thing I have never understood when it comes to child protective services. I I always thought the whole point of that that part of the state was to protect the child. What makes them think that when the child gets returned that the parents have actually changed or parent? There, there's no guarantee because I, my personal view is, is once they do it, they're not gonna stop. No, uh, uh, mm, -mm. 
No, they're not going to stop the abuse. If you pull a kid out of a home that's bruised all over their body or walk into a house that's trash like you've seen in that video, what makes them... And they even took photos of the house and still left the the child there. That's disgusting, you know. I understand that uh, DCFS is understaffed, but this is extreme incidences where you can actually see the proof. Hey, get this kid out of here. And I think if they would have gotten him out of there back in 2012, he would still be with us today. He'd still be alive today. Uh, one thing's for sure, uh, hopefully they get what's coming to them in the joint, man. Uh, I know we talked about it, McHenry County inmates, they're already plastering on the outside of the prison walls, R.I.P.A.J. So yep. they got something coming to them when they get into the joint. If not in the county jail, I can guarantee you, uh, since he'll probably get life, he'll probably be uh, put in Menard or Pontiac or some Max, and uh, they're not going to take so, uh, too uh, happy to that shit. No, they won't. You know, no. he's going to need to be in protective custody the rest of his freaking life. But, again, I just get so confused on how Child Protective Services see this kind of stuff. And you notice how they're not responding to media reports now? DCFS is refusing to respond. That's because they know they screwed the monkey on this one, man. They really screwed this up. They're, you know what? Whoever the caseworker was on this case, she should be uh, charged with uh, uh, conspiracy to commit murder or whatever the hell it is. Or, you know, being a party to the murder. Letting it happen. You know, she, she or he, or he, the caseworker, knew what was going on in that house. Why ain't they charged with uh, assisted murder? Oh, and if you did pay attention during the during it, it specifically said... That when DCFS arrived for one of their visits, the child was nowhere to be found. He wasn't even present. Well, they hid the kid. But they but they checked his bedroom, and they had it had feces on it from I believe rats. Right, and, and then the cup, window was nailed the shut. The window's and, nailed shut, so he can't get out and escape. Right, and then they had a chain lock on the door, you like know, a sliding chain lock, what, like you would put on a front door. Again. If you can't take care of your kids, then let somebody who can do that. You don't kill them. What the hell's wrong with you people? That's the kind of society we become. Yeah, but you know what? I'm sure they're going to bring up. I'm sure I'm sure the father and the mother of AJ are going to bring up, well, we were abused in the past. That is no excuse whatsoever. Oh, I know, but you know that's going to be one of their excuses. Or I was on drugs, or I was drinking. I was drunk, or drinking, or I was, I, I did too much coke, or whatever. You know what, when people use the drug excuse, I think that's weak as hell. That's a weak person who wants to bring up, well, I was doing drugs, or this or that, and I didn't, I didn't have my, bullshit, I don't care how high you get, you still know what you're doing. And you definitely don't raise your hand to your child. Yeah, I remember back in the day, I mean, you would get your butt kicked by your dad if you fucked up. Yeah, but never you know, to this or, level. Or back when it was okay to spank your kids. Now, you know, God forbid you lay your hands on your kids in public. They video record you or they just call the cops on you for spanking your kid in public. Well, you know what's funny about that? When you brought that up, it's like, okay, they'll take your kid for that. But here, they had proof that this was going on. They didn't touch him. No, they didn't. They and he could be him. alive. Yeah. <laughs> could be. You know, 
there's one thing discipline in your kid, but what they did to this kid was torture. And both of them need a you know a good round of medieval freaking torture. You know, rip out their insides, let it hang out, and put them up in public square. Because no kid should ever have to go through this. And it's great knowing that we got back out there, Rebels on a Mission, uh, Guardian of the Angels, all them type of biker groups that help out uh, with these uh, type of situations. But there's just not enough of us to go around to help all the kids. And I think DCFS needs to be held accountable. Something has to happen to them. Something needs to happen because if this was taken care of back in 2012, I think a little AJ might still be here. And what's worst is our our idiot governor, well then Ryan, a convicted felon himself who went to prison. But then again, what Illinois governor's not in trouble? Right, we got one right now just elected that's uh, under federal investigation. But anyway, they got rid of the death penalty in Illinois. <laughs> Unreal. This is picture perfect of the reason why the death penalty was instated. Definitely. And I and I, and as far as, you know, they say an eye for an eye. Well, it is an eye for Well, you know what? A lot of people say well the death penalty and stuff, you know, you should just let them live their life out. You know what really finds I find funny is when they're on appeal, they're always saying, "Well, it's going to hurt when you put me to death." What did you do to your victims, man? You don't think it hurt them? No. You know what? I understand when you're on the streets and you know, you might be in a crew or something. That's business. You know, an honorable guy on the streets ain't going to go after innocent people. It's only business related. But this kind of stuff, this is unacceptable. And I think that's why there is honor among thieves when it comes to the prison system. They don't let these people get away with it. And hopefully when they get into the DOC, uh, you know, system of this won't uh, be like, oh. I doubt it will. No. You know, so ain't there uh, some kind of GoFundMe page or something you said? I'm unsure of that uh, as of right now. I haven't been able to finish the research on that, but we should all check into it and see whether or not there is one. Right, right. Because uh, now there's another kid and then there's a baby on the way. Uh, so, yeah, that family... Man, that's just messed up. Anyway, uh, that's China Dow segment today. We're going to go and go and... Man, that's got me fucked up. I can't even talk. <laughs> Protect the children. Protect the kids. Don't hurt them. Coming up is uh, Tombstone's uh, segment. It's going to be his uh, full segment instead of splitting them up because this week I'll be up in Orlando. So we won't be having the show on Saturday. And we'll be back on Monday with a bunch of goodies. Hey everybody, how you doing? Thanks for joining me. So today we're going to talk about stereotypes. There's lots of them. And it's not just in, in the motorcycle club world, it's in the world in general. Um, you know, another stereotype that might be out there is Asians are really good at math. Now, that may be, I don't really know, and I'm not being racist. What I'm saying is, is there's a lot of things that are being said out in this world that are not necessarily true. So, one percenters, yes, a one percenter slash outlaw, 
some are probably criminals, but with that being said, law-abiding bikers, which I am not a part of, by the way, um, there's guys in there that are that are criminals as well, uh, just like there are people in 1% clubs that um, have never been arrested, and uh, it's just the way life is, you know. We, we have these stereotypes because they've been pushed upon us over years as far as uh, if you look a certain way, this is the way that you are. Now, it all started in history uh, in the biker culture overall back, you know, around 1948-ish sometime frame, okay? And uh, really what ended up happening is you had all these guys that came back from World War II and... Uh, just in case you guys didn't understand what World War II was really about, here's a clip. So, as you can see, um, these guys lived through something that, you know, regular people just don't understand, okay? So, they came back to the United States and uh, just kind of hung out and wanted to do their own thing. They wanted to be left alone because what they went overseas to fight for uh, the freedoms and the abilities to do what they wanted to do, uh, people started telling them what they could and could not do because they didn't fit into normal society, whatever normal society is. The concept of normal society changes on a regular basis, and it really depends upon what the masses believe it is, okay? So case in point, uh, Obama's the president at the time um nobody was really riding in the streets and stopping traffic and wearing big vaginas on their head or any of that other stuff right because the masses said that obama was good probably the worst president we've had however with that being said now yet yeah, the masses now believe that trump is bad so trump Everybody has to go out and do certain things. See, the, the culture has changed. The understanding has changed as far as what's right, wrong, or indifferent. The problem is, is back to the World War II guys. These guys came back and they, they had their lives on the line every single day. They didn't know if they were going to wake up and be alive the next day. You know, when they passed out or fell asleep. And that's if they were able to actually get any sleep. You know, a war doesn't just go on from, you know, 7 o'clock in the morning until 5 o'clock in the afternoon or evening. It, it goes on 24-7. Um, sneaky stuff happens. You guys are trying to kill you in your sleep. It's, it's hell, all right? Especially when you see one of your buddies in a foxhole next to you uh, get killed because you're in a firefight. So these guys that came back from World War II, they had zero fucks to give, right? They just wanted to live their life. They figured they sacrificed enough. Well, we, our culture, normal society, right, at the time said, nope, that's that's unacceptable. You you can't you can't do that. You can't look the way you look, you can't smell the way you smell, and you can't do the things that you do and and be able to be part of normal society. So Here's the problem. These guys, all they wanted to do was ride motorcycles. Now, a lot of them had jobs, right? But as soon as Friday hit, 
boom, on the bike they were, and down the road they went, right? They camped out next to their bikes, they, like a poncho or a tarp, and they strapped it on and, and, and made something just to cover themselves so they didn't get rained on, right? They slept in fields on the side of the road, whatever, right? They like to eat. But they got to go into a store to get some food if they and pack, you know, pack enough for the trip. So they go into the stores and because they haven't showered, because they've been out sleeping on the road, because uh, all the road dirt and grime and and oil. If you had other guys, you know, that were riding with you, all the oil that comes out of the because, you know, Harley's back in the day leaked, period. No question about it. Nothing you could do. Right. So, yeah, road grime. Maybe you're out in the rain. So. Your hair is all matted, looks gross. You know, you probably stink to high heaven on a Sunday. And guess what? You're a dirty, stinky biker, right? So the whole Hollister event, you know, changed the overall persona uh, because that's when things started getting really, really heated between law enforcement and bikers overall. So the issue that we have at this point in time is normal society that built this stereotype of the dirty stinky biker <clears throat> now was associated with law enforcement and law enforcement said nope they're criminals you know now mind you it's not all law enforcement's fault because uh, there are people local politicians that really direct what law enforcement's going to do they get told what to do um that's the one thing about the military and another thing about the police department. You don't really get a whole lot of free thinking going on. Um, you're told what your job is and you're told what you're going to do and you're either going to follow it or not. Now, that's about the only difference because uh, we call the law enforcement field paramilitary because they they structure themselves after military. And uh, that's supposed to be a good thing for them. But when... Uh, a biker club does it, it's wrong. You see you see what I'm saying? It, it's a little weird. So let's get back into stereotypes, right? So you got your dirty, stinky bikers um, and now law enforcement who's calling them criminals and they're trying to find anything that they can to start locking them up and, and causing them problems. Now, there's a reason for this. Uh, if you continually cause a problem for somebody, eventually – they either give up or they fight harder. Well, law enforcement slash politicians made a, a very grave mistake at this point in time because what they didn't seem to understand is these bikers were vets. They already went through hell. They went to a foreign country where the masses over there in that foreign country did nothing but try to kill them every day of their life. So I don't know what was going through their head where they thought, oh, yeah, Let's just piss them off and make them go away, and we're going we're gonna to try to deter their existence by constantly harassing them. Well, guess what? Veterans don't play that game, right? We fight back because we're not, that's not what we do, right? So we started fighting back. Um, and unfortunately, things got violent. People died, and, and, and stupid shit happened. I mean, it, but it's a two people's fault. And I don't mean individuals, I mean groups, two groups fault of why it became what it became. That's a stereotype. So now 
what ended up happening if you wore a patch set, if you, which means if you had a vest that had patches on it, uh, you are considered now an outlaw. Okay, so bikers started getting pulled over and bothered and harassed, and this went on for years, years and years, even into the 90s, right? Getting thrown down on the dirt, face down. But something happened. Something weird happened. All of a sudden, law enforcement motorcycle clubs came out. Now, granted, there there was there was a couple before that, long before that, okay. But there was like this insurgence all of a sudden, okay. Now, groups like uh, the Blue Knights, okay, um, they didn't try to dress like us. They they had that powder blue vest, you know. I would never wear the thing, but that's on them, all right? But they kind of, they stayed to themselves, okay? They didn't get involved in anything we did. They didn't go to our uh, benefits and all the other shit, okay? So now here we go. We, we have this insurgence of law enforcement motorcycle clubs that come out. And now, now you got this ass clown, Erlacher, talking about a revolution, Save it, dude. You're you're a very sorry individual. Your show sucks. So the thing is, is this Erlacher, who was law enforcement, by the way, um, he and his whole group of cronies of different law enforcement motorcycle clubs are all part of this group called Law Abiding Bikers. They even have a, a, a blog and a YouTube channel and all this other shit, right, to talk about their culture and their revolution. But here's the thing. They stole everything. They stole everything from the very type of people that they don't want to be a part of. Because all they, they, listen, I have heard this on his show because, you know, I do my research, right? Him and his cronies, a redneck network fag or whatever he is, um, they talk shit about bikers all the time. Call us turds, call us stupid, call us criminals. They call us all kinds of things. Now, Mind you, I am not a one percenter. I am not in an outlaw club. I am in what is considered a 99 club, a 99% club, okay? However, I am not a law-abiding biker, and I refuse to get behind that whole concept because it's bullshit, all right? Let's take a look at a few things. So, law enforcement. There's quite a few law enforcement officers out there, and if you do the research on it, you'll be able to see exactly how many there are and it is astronomical okay but wasn't it just an article that came out that uh usa today that said something about eighty thousand law enforcement officers are dirty yeah okay um just so we're clear according to the fbi there's only forty-four thousand members of outlaw motorcycle clubs in this country so that's a really small number compared to law enforcement. So if 80,000 of that, okay, so, but yet not all people that are bikers are truly outlaws, though they're considered to be, okay? So this is where things are get real fucked up uh, because the FBI claims that if you do this, you do that, you do the other thing, you're considered an outlaw biker. Well, 
I don't have a whole lot of faith in the FBI being able to do their job properly. And I say that because, well, let's just look at what happened with Trump. And uh, the FBI twisted, lied, and covered shit up in order to make it look like he did something while they were busy trying to protect somebody else. But yet we put all our faith into the FBI to make sure that statistically speaking, everything is correct. Well, that's a falsehood. Uh, it, it can't work like that. So my point is, is take a look at this family. Now, the gentleman in the picture probably looks pretty familiar to you. Um, he is not in a 1% club. He is not and not he is not a outlaw biker. He is part of something called the 99%, which if you do quick math, 100%, my, okay, good, you got it. All right, so the problem here is is that there's this cat, Brian Erlacher, that says the 99% crew are law-abiding bikers. Shut your fucking mouth, okay? Don't ever, ever say 99% is something more than just guys and girls that just can't be a part of 1%. Well, let's understand something, okay? I have nothing but respect for all the 1% clubs that are out there, okay? Um, because you're living with a moniker that's much worse than the 99, okay? Regardless of if you're a criminal or not a criminal or anything else, it, it really doesn't matter, all right? The, you're, you're part of an organization or a society that started this whole movement. And if these cops and these law-abiding bikers want to call you turds and everything else, well, I'm against them. Because the reality is, is if it wasn't for people like you, people like me that want to ride and be free, it wouldn't exist today. So it's not this three-piece cut that makes you an outlaw. By the way, Brian Erlacher wears one too. Only the difference is on the back of his, there's this little cube that says L-E. Right. We'll talk more about law enforcement motorcycle clubs in another uh, venture, but hopefully we're able to squash this stereotype that if you are a biker that wears a three-piece patch set, um, you are automatically a dirty, stinky biker criminal. Um there are millions of kinds of clubs out there. Feel free if you want to join a club to join a club. However, I'm going to tell you, it really doesn't matter if it's an outlaw club or a 99% club. If it's a true traditional 99% club, there's work involved and there's sacrifice and you have to put time in. And as you can see, that guy, that picture that we put up a little while ago, uh, he's got a lot of kids. That takes a lot of work. Thanks for joining me. We'll catch up with you guys at another time. Well, that's it for this week's episode of Motorcycle Madhouse. Don't forget to go over to New Insane Throttle's new YouTube channel and also get your daily dose of biker news every morning at HarleyLiberty.com. If you haven't done so already, go like the new Motorcycle Madhouse Facebook page. And until next week, I'm James Hollywood Machikari. And remember, keep that throttle cracked wide open. <laughs>